Welcome to Organics Unpacked, a podcast for the business-minded organic grower. An interview podcast where we hear from the top experts in the commercial organic industry with a focus on the business elements of organic growing both in and out of the field. You will gain insight and grow your operation. This show is brought to you ad-free by Ave Organics, a Wilbur Ellis company. To learn more about Ave Organics, visit our program notes. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. Welcome to a new episode of Organics Impact, a podcast where we discuss organic farming from a practical perspective. I am your host, Tom Buman. Today, I'm joined by Greg Binford. Greg is the Director of Advanced Agronomy Training for Wilbur Ellis. Greg, welcome to Organics Impact. Hi, Tom. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Greg, before we get started, uh, kind of on talking about the subject matter today, which is nitrogen and nitrogen use, uh, give us a little bit of background on, on maybe your education and your training and how you got to where you are today. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I grew up on a farm, uh, West Central Indiana, corn soybean farm. Uh, raised, I'd raised corn soybeans and had a small cow-calf operation. So that, that's what started my interest in agriculture. Uh, I've been in it as long as I can remember. And so I wanted to go to school in agronomy and I did. I ended up uh, doing an agronomy degree at Clemson University. And during that experience, I worked in a research laboratory and got very interested in research and just the whole education process. And so I decided I wanted to go to graduate school and continue down the agronomy line. And so I went to Iowa State University and did a master's and PhD. And that was with or on nitrogen management. I worked on nitrogen management with uh, Dr. Fred Blackman uh, at Iowa State. And then from there, um, I spent three years on the faculty as a soil fertility specialist with the University of Nebraska out in Scotts Bluff. And then uh, family took me to the East Coast where I uh, actually spent four years working in industry with Pioneer as a regional agronomist. And then uh, I had the opportunity to go back into the university world and uh, the University of Delaware um, looking for a soil fertility professor and extension specialist. And so I spent 12 years at the University of Delaware and most of my research uh, was on nitrogen, nitrogen management, working with nitrogen stabilizers and also manure management. Delaware has a lot of uh, chickens and a lot of issues with poultry manure. And so I did a lot of manure management work and then a lot of extension education. And about 10 years ago, I got a call from Wilbur Ellis they were looking for somebody with a soil fertility background to do training and education. And, um, and, and so that was an opportunity for me to actually come back to Indiana. And uh, that was a dream that I'd had since uh, I started graduate school, actually. And so I moved back to Indiana. I live about an hour from my dad's farm. And um, I, I now with Wilbur Ellis work uh, primarily just on training and education around around all agronomic issues, train people on agronomic issues, and then also about the science around the products that, uh, that we have at Brellas. Great, great. Well, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, definitely you're qualified to talk about today's subject. Today, we wanna to talk about kind of the nitrogen cycle, why it's important, what are some of the misunderstandings about the nitrogen cycle and how we get nitrogen into our crops and what are the different forms. and I know that you work both with kind of conventional farmers and organic farmers. Today, we'll kind of focus on kind of the organic side of that, obviously. And so we're really excited to have you here today. But I, I got to just say out of the gate, I don't know how many times I've tried to learn the nitrogen cycle, right? I mean, it's been taught to me in college and multiple times since then. And I find it very complex because we have nitrites, nitrates, we have ammonia, we have ammonium. There are so many things that kind of sound alike that I get, I get those things mixed up. So kind of walk us through the, the nitrogen cycle and we'll break it down so that a farmer that's out there can really maybe have a, a better understanding of how they need to think about the nitrogen cycle, what's important, what's not important, what are some of the misconceptions? 
Great, Tom. Happy to do that. And uh, you're not alone from the standpoint that I've I've given probably thousands of talks on nitrogen over the over the last uh, well over the course of my career so far. And I've had many people tell me. I remember one time uh, a guy came up to me at a Wilbur Ellis meeting and said, "I've heard you give that talk five times now, and I'm finally starting to un understand <laughs> at least half of that nitrogen cycle." So. Uh, it is a complicated process, and you know there's there's um, there's really six processes I would say within the nitrogen cycle, and th those are what are mineralization, which is the release of organic nitrogen into inorganic nitrogen. There's a mobilization, which is basically taking inorganic nitrogen and converting it back into an organic form of nitrogen that's going to be unavailable to plants. Um, and then there's nitrification, which is a conversion of one inorganic form of nitrogen, the ammonium form, into the nitrate form. Both of those two inorganic forms are available to plants. Uh, a lot of times people have the confusion that nitrate is the only available form of nitrogen, but ammonium and nitrate are both plant available forms. In soils, ammonium doesn't tend to last very long because there are microbes that want to um, basically to get energy from taking oxidizing ammonium into nitrate. And so because of all those microbes that are in the soil, ammonium just doesn't last that long in the soil, it tends to convert to nitrate. So that is the form that's most often taken up by plants. But unfortunately, within, when it's in the nitrate form, it's susceptible to loss. And that's the three other words that I wanted to, that wanted to mention, and that's leaching, denitrification, and volatilization. And those are three ways that nitrogen can be lost from the soils, either up in the air or um, movement movement down through the soil. And so, and, and, and the challenge is that all of this is controlled by Mother Nature. It all depends on on uh, temperature, rainfall, all of these. All of these factors come into control, especially with mineralization. And mineralization, as I said, is basically taking organic nitrogen and converting it into an inorganic form. So, Greg, let me stop you there. So, I kind of think of okay, we have this plant system, right? But it's not using organic nitrogen, it's using inorganic nitrogen. And is that exclusively? I mean, a plant only uses inorganic nitrogen, is that right? That is correct. That is correct, but, but nitrogen has to be either in the ammonium form or the nitrate form, um, which are both inorganic forms. And I think that's that's the source of confusion sometimes in organic agriculture is because you put on organic nitrogen thinking that the plants can take up organic nitrogen, but, but they can't. When, when it's an organic nitrogen, it means that you have carbon and nitrogen molecules bound together. And that's really what the mineralization process is, is breaking apart the carbon and the nitrogen, so that the nitrogen now converts into an inorganic form, which that first inorganic form is the ammonium ion. Right, but from a, then from an organic standpoint, uh, I'm just trying to kind of unravel this. From an organic standpoint, that's really important to have that carbon and nitrogen together that breaks down because then you have the carbon left over, right? That really adds to soil health. Absolutely. Um, I mean that's. That's the beauty of organic sources of nitrogen is that, you know, if you look at soil health, um, which, you know, is extremely important in organic production, but it's, I would, I would challenge you that our soil health is important in all soils, whatever you're doing, right. with that, if you're trying to grow plants. Um, and one of the things that influences soil health the most is organic matter, and that's carbon. So anytime we can add carbon to a soil, we tend to have the potential to improve soil health um, because we have that carbon there that can form soil organic matter. And that soil organic matter helps the soil because it helps improve soil structure. Soil structure helps improve water infiltration, uh, improves rooting, um, it gives you uh, better soil properties, it, it improves water holding capacity, organic matter helps improve nutrient holding capacity. And then that organic nitrogen also serves as a, or the, actually I shouldn't just say organic nitrogen, that, that organic matter serves as a source of nutrients because every 
every year, part of that organic matter breaks down and it gives off plant available nitrogen, it'll give off plant available sulfur, give off plant available phosphorus. So you, you get lots, you get nutrients from that organic matter. But yes, Tom, carbon is an extremely important part of soil health. So Greg, so in organic farming, we're putting on that carbon with manure or cover crops or some other type of fertilizer. In a more of a commercial or traditional standpoint, we're putting on anhydrous and stuff. Where do we get that carbon from then? Is it, is it that we just don't build maybe soil health as fast or do we have to think about it in a different way? Like how does organic and traditional farming kind of uh, maybe differ in building soil health? So organics, I would say you, you have a better opportunity for building soil health just because you're adding, if you're, well, cover crops can be used in organic agriculture sure. and they can be used in, in normal agriculture and right. cover crops have been shown to be a, a benefit to soil health because you're adding carbon back to that soil and um, you, you have just more biodiversity, right. microbial diversity. Um, but it's, but also because of inorganics, really the most of our sources of fertilizer are organic. So they're, they're, they're manures that have been processed, they're plant, um, plant materials, there's all kinds of different things that we use for organics, but they're always nitrogen and carbon bound together. So organic matter is a hard thing to build in soils though. Right. If, you, if you look at long-term trends, I mean, since we take, you, you, you take a soil and, and on its native condition and plow it up, and you introduce all that oxygen into the soil and all this microbial activity starts occurring and breaking down organic matter because of a large quick depletion, it's difficult to bring it back, to bring your organic matter levels up. And what, what typically happens, and I would say in conventional situations, we, we kind of reach that steady state where, you know, you take soils, for example, on the farm that I grew up on, our soils, range from probably about two and a half to three and a half percent nitrogen right and they've been that way since my dad started farming it and, and they'll they'll probably continue to be that way and and well i, I will take that back my, my dad did change his his system now to think think about it because there's one thing that will help build organic matter faster and that's lack of tillage mm -hmm. if you if you till that soil and introduce all that oxygen you tend to really um, break down carbon faster. And, and my dad did change to a no-till system um, back in the mid-1980s. And, and no-till systems can build organic matter levels up probably faster than anything um, because of that lack of tillage. Uh -huh. If you take that, if you, if you would take that and included cover crops, uh, included organic sources, you, you could have potentially seen even, even more organic matter build up. Um, my, my father doesn't farm that farm anymore. It's being farmed by his stepbrother and he has done some tillage. So my guess is that the organic matter levels have probably dropped a little bit, but that's, that's the biggest thing that we fight against um, organic matter buildup, whether you're, whether you're an organic or whether it's inorganic, is just that tillage process right. makes it very difficult to build organic matter. And then the other thing that comes into play is climate. A lot harder to build organic matter in the southern part, you know, say say Texas, where it's hot uh, for a great period of the year, versus Minnesota, where you where you freeze up and have really no microbial activity going on for a portion of the year. You, you tend to build organic matter faster in those colder climates. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's really important in organic farming is that you can't necessarily compare yourself against somebody that's three states away or has a different rotation or a different tillage system, because it seems to me all those things influence how much carbon you're going to build up and the, the nitrogen cycle and what's going to happen. But getting back to the nitrogen cycle. So we've got, we put on it typically in um, organic farming, we put on a, a product that's got a good carbon to nitrogen ratio. What is that? What is that? What is a good ratio of carbon to nitrogen when we're putting on something like manure or we're adding cover crops or something? So 
in general, so solar organic matter has a carbon to nitrogen ratio. The native native solar organic matter is somewhere around eight, um, eight to one, eight parts tar carbon, one part nitrogen, uh, somewhere in that eight to ten to one range. Um, and when you talk about animal manures, they're they're usually somewhere less than fifteen to one. Uh, but there's a there's a critical point at about twenty to one. You get twenty parts carbon, one part nitrogen. As you go above that, you tend to have more carbon than you do nitrogen. So when those microbes are breaking down that organic material, they're getting energy from that carbon. They have to have nitrogen to support them in their bodies to 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 do what they do. And so if you have something that has a, let's just say you have a material that has a 10 to one carbon to nitrogen ratio, as that microbe is decomposing that carbon, there's enough nitrogen in that material to feed what the microbes get or what the microbe needs. And so as it breaks that carbon down, it actually releases nitrogen into the soil because there's more there than what the microbes need. Now let's take something that's 30 to one and you put that into the soil microbe starts working on that, that doesn't have enough nitrogen to, to meet its needs. And so it's, it's gonna use all the nitrogen in that organic material and it's actually gonna take nitrogen, inorganic nitrogen in the soil. If you've got nitrate sitting around in the soil, it, it can actually consume that and tie up that nitrogen and it will outcompete the plant. So the, and the higher that carbon to nitrogen ratio goes, the more tie up, the longer that tie up occurs um, because those microbes have to break that carbon down and they have to have nitrogen to do that. And so that, that critical point is, is, I would say 20 to one. If, you, if your material is 20 to one or less, then it will tend to mineralize and, and release nitrogen in the soil. And the lower it goes, the more nitrogen it will release, release faster. It's been shown to be a pretty good predictor of how fast you can get nitrogen out of the out of an organic material. But if you put something on the soil that's, let's say, 30 to 1, it's actually going to probably decrease nitrogen for a while. And you could actually have, you, if you had plants growing out there, you could starve those plants for a period of time. I've seen that happen before. Once, once uh, I've seen it happen several times. But I remember one time in particular, a gentleman out in Delaware had a um, had these trees that he had planted, and he put this compost out to feed those trees. But this compost had a uh, it hadn't been composted properly. It had a lot of straw in it, and uh, the the trees actually just started turning yellow. Um, a couple of weeks after he put the nitrogen, I put the compost on. He's thinking he's feeding it. Uh -huh. He's literally he's not feeding it. He's taking nitrogen out of the soil and started starving the plants. And that's something that you have to be aware of whenever you're using an organic source is to make sure that um, it it has a carbon to nitrogen ratio that's not you know putting on something that has a high carbon to nitrogen ratio before the crops need it and it has time to break down can can work. But if you put something on where you're expecting to get nitrogen out of that material right away, and it's and it's a high carbon nitrogen material, 30, 40 to one, it's not it's not going to release nitrogen immediately. It's going to take time for that decomposition process to occur. Right. So, Greg, I'm an organic farmer, and I'm looking and weighing my different options for um, for manure, maybe, uh, and. I can get it from different sources. What should I, so I wanna make sure that I have that carbon nitrogen ratio, eight to one, 10 to one is what I hear you saying. How do I know what different sources are? Are they tests for it? Are there book values for it? Can you give me some guidelines of, of what I should know? Yeah, the, I think, the, um, I mean, I would tend to lean towards book values. I mean, it can be tested. It can be tested for nitrogen content. Um, and, and it can be tested for carbon content too. But um, in general, I mean, you can look at book values of different types of materials in terms of what, what the carbon to nitrogen ratio is. I mean, if you're taking a, a compost, something that's been composted, um, and particularly if it's something that you've composted or you know somebody that's 
um, you've gotten it from a neighbor or somebody that's composting, it, it'd probably be worth doing a, doing a test on that um, because it can be tested to see what the carbon to nitrogen ratio is. Um, okay. But that's, you know, that's the challenge with organic, organic, um, one of the challenges with organics is just how fast that nitrogen is going to become available. Right, because it becomes available, even if you have a eight to one, 10 to one, right? It doesn't always, it's not like um, it's metered out in a certain amount every week, every day, every hour or something. There are things that influences how that's breaking down from the organic matter and combined with the carbon nitrogen to just the nitrogen that becomes inorganic and is available. What are those different things that, a farmer needs to know about like how fast does that nitrogen become available? What are the factors? That's what makes it such a challenge when you're dealing with organics because you, it depends on mother nature and it can, it can vary each year and it can vary based on soil types. I mean, sandy soils can act differently than heavy textured soils, but the biggest driver is, I, I would say is temperature. Uh, what the temperatures do and then, and then also what the soil moisture is like. If you, you know, it's kind of an ideal soil moisture. I mean, if you get extremely dry, that slows down mineralization. If you get extremely wet, where you don't have as much oxygen in the soil, that slows down mineralization. But the biggest driver is going to be temperature. Now, when you, we typically think of mineralization as being fairly insignificant below 50 degrees. Um, we think of nitrification um, as being fairly significant under 50, uh, fairly insignificant under 50 degrees. Um, so temperature is the biggest driver. And, um, and then from that standpoint, again, that, that carbon to nitrogen ratio, I mean, if you have something that's 18 to one or 20 to one, it's not going to, it's not going to release as fast as, as something like, um, Seabird guano, I think, is a, is something that they use in organic right. agriculture. That tends to have that tends to have a very low carbon to nitrogen ratio. Okay. Um, that's going to release a lot quicker. Okay. And so, but that's that's where that challenge is. And and sometimes it just takes experience to figure that out <laughs> in terms of how that's going to release. You know, you can you can take soil samples. Soil samples you, you can always measure how much ammonium and nitrate are in your soil to get a feel for um, what's actually happening and how that mineralization is occurring. Yeah, but I, it's, to me, one of the challenges, let's say we put on manure as a, a source or we're counting on our cover crop releasing nitrogen, we get one of those cold, wet springs. We know that we're, we're low in nitrogen, available nitrogen, just because it hasn't been mineralized or released from that carbon. But then what do we do? I mean, we only have so many in organic farming, we only have so many sources of nitrogen available. It's not like we can run out and give it a shot of urea or anhydrous or something like that. And that's one of the challenges in that. And what we typically have done in the past is that you, you just, you have to put on really more than what the crop is going to need um, to make to, because if you put, you put, if you have more out there, you're going to have more more available at any point in time. Um, but we are starting, you know, there's some uh, materials now, um, protein hydrolysates, for example, that uh, are readily available um, sources of nitrogen. And as we, as we go forward, I think we'll see more types of nitrogen like that. I mean, they, they come from natural products and they are, basically available when you put them on the on the soil um, which makes them it, it helps in that type of situation as long as you use them right right you know it's very similar to fertilizer in, in conventional agriculture if you put too much fertilizer in conventional agriculture at at a point in time and mother nature brings in a lot of rainfall or you put on too much irrigation water or whatever you can you can take that nitrogen out of the soil and, and leach it or denitrify it. The same thing can happen in um, in organic agriculture using a, 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 a more soluble source. But if we spoon feed it, that really whether you're talking organic or whether you're, yeah whether you're talking organic or conventional, 
to me, one of the best ways to manage nitrogen is to spoon feed it. You don't have a small amount out there at any point in time. That way, if mother nature does um, bring us a lot of rainfall, um, then you have much less out there susceptible to loss. Okay. And so, so that spoon feeding technique can be a really valuable way to do that. And, and some of these types of products are, are becoming available in organic in organic nitrogen. And, and so spoon feeding can be really good because again, when, if you put on too much organic nitrogen, just so you make sure you have enough, then when that crop comes off, more than likely you're gonna be adding nitrogen into the environment because that mineralization, right. you're not gonna stop the mineralization. It's gonna just continue to occur if you've got that organic source out there. And now there's no crop out there to, to grow. Um, unless you're in an environment that where it never rains, then you've got the potential to leach that nitrogen in, sure. into the groundwater. Sure. So Greg, I, I understand where nitrogen is coming from when I'm putting on manure or something like that. When I use cover crops, where's my nitrogen coming from? What's the source from cover crops? So it depends on the cover crop. Um, if you're using a, a cover crop, a non-legume cover crop, so if you're using a rye cover crop, for example, um, the nitrogen in that rye cover crop comes from the soil. It takes up nitrogen, and and that's one of the nice things about cover crops is they can be a scavenger, so they can they can take up nitrogen in the soil when there's nothing growing there, when you don't have your crop growing, and therefore prevent loss of that nitrogen. And so it basically is just taking it out of the soil. Now, if you have a legume as a cover crop, then that actually has the potential to take nitrogen out of the air. So, you know, our, our atmosphere is 79% is nitrogen in two gas. And that's how we make fertilizers. We take that into gas and convert it into an inorganic form. Well, the legume crop plants um, have the ability to take nitrogen, the process we call nitrogen fixation, where they take nitrogen out of the air, convert that into a plant available form of nitrogen. And so they can feed um, their own, they can feed themselves. And if they're a high nitrogen fixing crop, They'll they'll leave extra nitrogen in the soil, and so when you when you uh, destroy that cover crop, you've added nitrogen into the system because of that nitrogen fixation. If it's just a rye cover crop, something that's a non-legume, you haven't really added it into the system, but you've captured it, right. kept it from leaching out. A little like a storage tank, maybe if you will, that it's it's pulling that free nitrogen that would probably be lost to leaching or something else, denitrification, and it's storing it in the plant. So when we have the, the um, nitrogen stored in the plant, whether it's a legume plant or something like rye cover crop, is it in the organic or inorganic form? And then what has to happen to get it into the plant, growing plant? So it's primarily in the organic form. It's nitrogen and carbon bound together. And it has to go through the process of mineralization, like okay. I was talking about. And again, this is where the carbon to nitrogen ratio comes into, into effect. Um, if, if you take rye, for example, um, as a rye crop, uh, well, pretty much any crop, as any, as any crop grows and gets bigger, it tends to produce more carbon relative to nitrogen. Nitrogen concentration tends to go down. And so that's, you can have a cover crop that you plow under, which this kid is, is one of the things that can make organic nitrogen or organic farming challenging, although it can be challenging if you're using cover crops in, in uh, conventional too. It, but that nitrogen, um, again, the release from that cover crop is based on that carbon to nitrogen ratio. So if you take rye, and you plow it into the soil and it has a carbon to nitrogen ratio of 30 to one, it's not gonna release nitrogen immediately. Matter of fact, it's going to, to tie up some nitrogen for a while um, and, until, until we get some decomposition and we, 
and we've uh, broken down, re basically reduced that carbon to nitrogen ratio. So, so to answer your question, that cover crop is really just like an organic source of nitrogen. It, it is an organic source of nitrogen. Okay. Right. So we've kind of talked about, um, so when I think of the nitrogen cycle, right, you, you look at a circle. So we kind of talked about how nitrogen comes into the process, right? We can bring it in an animal manure. We can have, you know, roots growing that are scavenging the nitrogen. We can have legumes that are, are fixing the nitrogen from the atmosphere into the root system. But what is the escape of nitrogen in a nitrogen cycle? There's there's, there's three primary ways uh, that nitrogen is lost. I guess fourth, if you count runoff, but um, generally in organic nitrogen, I don't think that would be an issue, but leaching and denitrification are basically the loss of nitrate. Whenever you have nitrogen in the nitrate form, you have the potential for it to either leach, which means it moves downward in the soil. And the reason why it moves downward in the soil is because Nitrate is a negatively charged molecule. You look at it, it's NO3 with a negative charge. Right. Our soils are negatively charged. Organic matter particles and clay particles in the soil have a negative charge. And so you put a negatively charged ion in there, it's not attracted to the soil particles. It stays out in the soil solution. And so if we move water through the soil, it's going to leach some of that nitrate down. The more nitrate you have in the soil, soil solution, the more potential there is for downward loss through leaching. Now, if you have heavier soils where they tend to hold water and your soil pores have more water than they do oxygen, there's actually microbes in the soil that are denitrifiers and they can actually, um, they can actually live off the nitrate. They, they basically get energy from nitrate and they, and they convert nitrate to um, nitrous oxide or they, if they take all the nitrogen or all the oxygen off of those nit nitrate molecules, it literally converts back to dinitrogen gas and it goes back up into the air. So, so leaching tends to be more of a problem on soils that are well-drained. Denitrification is an issue uh, on heavier soils Denitrification is going to be a temperature dependent process. Leaching is just the volume of water, but denitrification, warm, wet soils, lack of oxygen, denitrification can occur very rapidly. If it's really cold out, um, it's gonna be very slow. So those are two ways that you lose, that you lose nitrate. And then you can also lose ammonium if it's sitting on the surface of the soil in a high pH environment. So when I say ammonium, I'm talking about NH4, which NH4 is the ammonium ion. It has a positive charge. And so that's uh, ammonium is actually held in the soil by, the, by the, the cation exchange sites, the negative charges of the soil. But if you have ammonium ions on the surface of the soil in a high pH environment, they tend to convert to ammonia. So in other words, they lose a hydrogen ion, it becomes NH3. NH3 is ammonia gas, all smelled ammonia gas. And if that's sitting on the soil surface, it can go up in the air. And that is something that we have to be aware of in whenever we're using organic sources of nitrogen, if, if they have uh, some ammonium in them, we, we can volatilize that. And manures can have some ammonium in them, depends on how they've been handled. You know, you take something that's been really well composted, you, you usually have gotten rid of the ammonia. But if you've got something that has a significant quantity of ammonium, and that should be in the analysis of, of the material, you can test for that. You, you don't wanna put that on the soil surface and leave it on the soil surface uh, if you're in a high pH soil in particular, but in general, uh, those manures are often high pH anyway. But that's how you lose, uh, that's the third way is what we call ammonia volatilization or you have ammonium ions on the surface of the soil in a high pH environment, you, you can lose the nitrogen that way. Okay, so on the loss side of it, Greg, um, I get any time we lose nitrogen, I mean, we've worked to get nitrogen in the soil through cover crops, through manure, whatever, losing it is bad. 
Well, what are some of the environmental implications of losing nitrogen? Um, well, so with nitrate, the concern is, uh, at least with nitrate, I should say nitrate leaching. The nitrate leaching moving down into the groundwater, there's concern that, I mean, there's been some studies that have, you know, there, there's a concern about human health. Um, sure excess nitrate. I mean, the, the EP um, limit on groundwater is 10 parts per million of nitrate nitrogen, uh, that we shouldn't consume water that has greater than 10 parts per million of nit nitrate nitrogen. Now, um, from, a, from an environmental standpoint, um, we don't want to send nitrogen up into the air. For, for example, nitrous oxide. You know, we, we, we get concerned about greenhouse gases. We hear a lot about the, the greenhouse gases, CO2 buildup in the atmosphere. Well, nitrous oxide is actually a much more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide is. And huh. so that's, that's a negative for the environment is it just uh, the impact it can have on, uh, on the atmosphere. So whether the nitrogen goes up in the atmosphere or goes down with water, those loss mechanisms are really important for us to control, not only from a, an efficiency standpoint, from an environmental standpoint also. Correct. Okay, all right. So again, I mean, I, it's making more sense to me. We have all these different forms of nitrogen. I think that's the hard part for me. Like, it's not just like a, a linear process where this turns into this and turns into this because there are feedback loops based on what's happening too, right? And so it's important to kind of really understand that nitrogen cycle. So it's things, especially for organic farmers who have limited options of what to do, it's really important, I think, that they understand this feedback um, and, and it makes sense to them. So they understand going into it, like what the risks are and what the opportunities are. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, it's it's important in, in in any kind of agriculture, but it's especially important in organic agriculture, um, just to understand what you're dealing with. You know, I, I, I can recall being called out to a field um, probably 10 years ago where an individual was was pos positive that they had a nitrogen toxicity because they the agronomist had come in and they he had a couple different people look at it and that corn was turning yellow and um, I went in and looked at it and first thing I said to him is uh, this is not a toxicity based on the symptomology of that plan I, I think you have a deficiency and and the whole reason he had a deficiency is because he didn't understand nitrogen volatilization and he didn't understand it mobilization he put all his nitrogen on top of the surface of a very very high carbon material a, a, a corn residue put it all on that surface of that soil and it was all getting tied up due to a mobilization his crop was starving um, and so but that it's even more important to understand those processes in organics just because of the nature of what you have to use for your sources. You know, one thing, Tom, I wanted to mention too that I thought of when we were talking about uh, environmental issues. And one thing we need to be aware of is, is phosphorus from an environmental standpoint. You know, I, I, I spent 15 years out in the Delmarva Peninsula um, where they deal with the Chesapeake Bay. And, you know, they've been, they've been, um, They've been looking at nitrogen, they've been focused on improving nitrogen management since the mid 1980s to try to keep nitrogen and phosphorus out of the Chesapeake Bay. Uh -huh. And whenever we're using organic sources of nitrogen, we typically are, are using a lot of phosphorus. You put something on, you know, let's say you put on a 4-3-0 fertilizer, 4% nitrogen is 3% phosphorus. You put that on to meet the nitrogen requirements you're going to put on way more phosphorus than what you need. And if you continue to do that year after year after year, you can really build up phosphorus levels into your soils where then that phosphorus can move off that soil relatively easy. And if it gets into surface water, then we have issues with um, you know, algae blooms like they have in Lake Erie, uh, issues with, you know, it can cause um, 
fish to die. I mean, there's all kinds of issues with algae blooms. And so just again, something to be aware of when we're using your, these organic sources as a nitrogen source, and it has a lot of phosphorus in it, you can build those phosphorus levels up to the point where you start to run into issues. Um, yeah, it would seem to me that um, this is especially important for organic farmers that are using manure, right? Because with commercial fertilizer, I can blend my nitrogen phosphorus to a level that is you know, good for both. But with manure, to me, it's a little like a multivitamin. You get what you get inside the manure. And if you get manure that has high phosphorus, for some people that might be good, you might need to build your phosphorus levels in your soil. But for people like maybe in the Delmarva who have used manure a lot, and that phosphorus level is really high, you might have to look at other alternatives, right? Other than manure, because you might have gotten that phosphorus level higher than you expected, and you could be causing some water quality problems. Exactly. I mean, you know, I talk about the Delmarva, but any place, where they have high concentrations of animals. I mean, up in New York, where they have lots of dairy cattle, they have issues with too much phosphorus in their soils. Um, California, they have lots of dairy cattle. They, again, too much phosphorus. Um, any place where you, and it all comes from the standpoint of you taking that animal manure and using it as a nitrogen source. And when you use it to meet the nitrogen requirement of your crop, typically you're over applying by three, four, five, 6x more phosphorus than what that crop needs. And it's not that big a deal if you do it once or twice, but if you do it every year for 20 years, all of a sudden you look at your phosphorus levels and you're like, wow, how did I get such high phosphorus levels? And, um, and, the, and one of the problems that you have is that phosphorus builds up in soils is, is very difficult to pull it back down. Right. So nitrogen, you can, Inorganic nitrogen doesn't tend to build up in soils because it'll leach out like the processes that we talked about. But phosphorus, it'll just keep building up. It'll, it'll get tied up in that phosphorus and the, and the soil will actually start to become saturated. And when it becomes really saturated, that's when you have the problem because then it starts to release easily from the soil. And uh, as water moves across the surface of the soil, it can take the phosphorus with it. And one of the issues with phosphorus relative to nitrogen is that the concentrations that it takes to have an environmental impact are very, very small. Doesn't take much change in phosphorus concentration. All of a sudden, you've got these major algae blooms and uh, all kinds of environmental issues. So it's something to be aware of because you want to try to prevent that from happening because it just makes it a headache to deal with um, after the fact if you build, up, build those levels up too high. Right. And probably a topic for another another episode is like some of the new forms of nitrogen that are coming out that are readily available. Maybe it helps you to balance out your phosphorus nitrogen levels a little bit better in an organic system. Absolutely. That's, that's a great benefit from those types of sources. Not only can you use them to spoon feed the crop and help with the nitrogen, but you can help eliminate building up the phosphorus levels. Great, great. So I want to go back to one word here, um, mobilization. You talked about mineralization, the breaking apart of carbon and nitrogen. You threw another word in there, mobilization. Tell me yeah. what that is. Immobilization. Immobilization. Immobilization, basically the, the easy way to think about it, mineralization is you take organic nitrogen, convert it into plant available nitrogen. Okay. Basically, a which is inorganic nitrogen. That's inorganic nitrogen. Okay. Plant Even if you're in organic agriculture, the plants taking up ammonium and nitrate, which are inorganic forms. Now, immobilization is taking that organic nitrogen. I mean, sorry, taking that inorganic nitrogen and converting it back into an organic form. And the reason how that happens is the microbes consume that nitrogen. And so that nitrogen now becomes part of the microbial biomass of the soil. And it's now, it's now um, in an organic form. And it has, to re it has to basically mineralize again to become available. And so that's that issue that I was talking about. If you put too much carbon relative to the nitrogen, the microbes want to take that nitrogen out of the soil. And they will outcompete a plant every time. If you put the high carbon to nitrogen material out in the soil, 
and you expect nitrogen to go into the crop, it's not going to because the microbes will outcompete it. I mean, you, you, you can take a soil that has very high concentrations of, of, of available nitrogen. And if you put a lot of carbon out there, you can basically convert all of that available nitrogen into an unavailable form because it's immobilized. Okay. All right. That's it's not sense. going anywhere. It's stuck there in the- It's not, that's an advantage. It's not, you don't have to worry about losing it. It's protected in the soil, but if you want it in the plant, that's, that's not going to happen for a while. So that they can starve your plant if, if that occurs. Okay. Um, so if I were going to have um, nitrogen in my soil, from your standpoint, what would be the best? I mean, I know that it moves from one form to another, but if I could keep it in one form, what form would I try and keep it in? Um, if I could keep it in the ammonium form, um, that would be good from a standpoint that the soil would hold it because it's positively charged and the soil is negatively charged. Um, the, the, the problem is you wouldn't want to build it. You, you wouldn't want to keep building it because it could, it could get too high. Um, so it's a hard question to just pick one. I mean, really, <laughs> uh, you, you like, in my opinion, you like a balance between organic and ammonium. Um, nitrate is, um, that's the one that has more chances of getting away from you. But unfortunately, you can't stop right. the microbes in the soil. I mean, the ammonium oxidizing bacteria that are present, prevalent in all soils and that ammonium is just going to convert to nitrate. So we haven't found the secret bullet for nitrogen yet, have we? Not really. I mean, in, in conventional agriculture, we do have we have these uh, materials called nitrification inhibitors, which basically slow down that conversion of ammonium to nitrate. They only last for a certain period of time, okay. and then and then they're gone. I mean, they get decomposed uh, in the soil. Um, and so they can protect that nitrogen for a while, but it's still, we, we still haven't found that. I mean, ultimately, Tom, the, the, the ultimate secret to nitrogen is if we could have all crops be like legumes, where you don't have to put any nitrogen out there because it takes it all out of the air and converts it into a plant available form. Yep. And someday, um, the science, I mean, there, there's a lot of science going on and, on just developing microbes, for example. Microbes in the soil have the ability to take nitrogen out of the air and convert it into a plant available form. So if we have this conversation again in 20 years, um, we may have, well, I'm sure we'll have new technologies because there's already those types of technologies becoming available and they're just gonna continue to get better as we go forward. So is it possible to think that some of those technologies, I mean, I know we're kind of looking into the crystal ball, but can overproduce nitrogen that a crop can need? So if we're in the Midwest and we have a corn crop, is it possible to think that we could fix so much nitrogen? We're kind of in the same boat we are that, I mean, I know that we're not making it out of petroleum and putting it on, but I've heard that some legumes can produce more nitrogen than the next year's crop can utilize, and we still have the risk of losing that into uh, water. Is that correct or not correct? Well, so when I think of the really best nitrogen fixtures that, that I'm aware of, one of the very best is alfalfa. Okay. Alfalfa fixes a tremendous amount of nitrogen. Um, it utilizes a tremendous amount of nitrogen, but because it fixes so much nitrogen, when, when you plow that alfalfa crop under, um, there's a tremendous supply of nitrogen for that next crop. And typically we plant that next crop in the mid Midwest as being corn, a corn crop. And you can get by with putting on, you may need a small amount of nitrogen early on to get that crop off to start because of that nitrogen in the alfalfa is still organic and it needs to mineralize to become available. But there's enough nitrogen to feed that crop. Um, and, you know, there's, it's possible that you get to the end of the season, it could continue to nitrify and, and release nitrogen. I mean, that's, you know, all, any soil that has organic matter in it, mineral, you can't shut down mineralization. <laughs> if Mother Nature is, um, it, it gives you the right conditions, you're going to be releasing, releasing soil 
releasing nitrogen, inorganic nitrogen into the soil. And if you don't have a crop growing there to take it up, right. then you're potentially losing it to the environment. Yeah. Well, Greg, I appreciate your time. I wanna be cognizant of your time too and your schedule. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I feel like I only need to hear about the nitrogen cycle another five times and I might get it down. <laughs> well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate the invitation. I always enjoy talking about nitrogen and uh, I certainly certainly enjoyed um, our conversation here today. So. Okay, so I have one last question, Greg. You're in a room with a farmer, right? And you've got two minutes to discuss the nitrogen cycle with, with the farmer. What is it? at the end of that two minutes, do you want that farmer to understand about the nitrogen cycle in organic farming to make them a better farmer? I would say that um, to, to just make sure that you really understand the mineralization process, of, of understand the carbon to nitrogen ratio of the material that you're using as a nitrogen source so that you can do a uh, have a, your best chance of matching that mineralization, that release of nitrogen with when your crop is going to need it. Um, and real, realizing that you can't be perfect because mother nature is gonna control it. But, but just making sure you understand um, that that nitrogen is not available immediately. It's gonna become available at, at a given point in time. And you wanna try to match that time with when your crop is gonna need it. Um, but Mother Nature is really going to control it. So, but at least understand it, understand the process. All right. Greg, thanks. Thanks so much for getting on talking about the nitrogen cycle. Uh, I know it's complicated, but you simply, you definitely simplified it. And so to the listening audience, we hope that you enjoyed today's episode um, with Greg Binford of Wilbur Ellis. Be sure to tune in every week when we'll talk about another facet of organic farming. Thank you. Thanks again, Tom. Thank you for listening to Organics Unpacked. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and giving this show a five-star rating and review so we can continue to help organic growers improve their operations.